Hey, welcome to another in our MarTech interview series. Question for you, how are digital marketers adapting to marketing technology in 2018? My friend Tom Cassano has a podcast called Sure Oak. On the podcast, Tom interviews leading digital marketers like Scott Brinker, Jay Bear, Rand Fishkin, and many more. Check out the Sure Oak podcast and subscribe to hear from the top thought leaders in digital marketing today. It's spelled S-U-R-E and Oak, just like an oak tree. The Sure Oak Podcast. Go check them out while you're listening. This is MarTech Interviews, a podcast from DK New Media, publishers of MarTech, the leading publication for sales and marketing professionals to research, discover, and learn how technology is driving business results. Your host is Douglas Carr. Well, welcome to another in our MarTech interview series. We have a uh, pioneer on the phone right now, and I'm going to say that. Uh, we have Carrie Bianchi. Carrie, thank you for joining us today. Terrific to be here, Douglas. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, Carrie is president and chief executive officer of Visto, V-I-S-T-O. And she's responsible for driving strategic direction and business execution across the entire organization. Um, Carrie joined Collective, which is now Visto, in 2015, and pretty cool. She held the roles of both Chief Operating Officer and President before assuming the CEO role last year. Um, you're a Silver Star, Silver Stevie Award winner for Female Executive of the Year. Uh, congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. Top 50 women in brand marketing. So I don't know why uh, you're talking to me, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and probably most of all is that you bring over 25 years of experience in media, advertising, and consulting. Uh, and so it is just incredible to be speaking to somebody that has really sat on both sides of the wall of this, of this advertising game out there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it's uh, hopefully been helpful to me as I think about some of the pain points right, from some of our customer bases. I, I have literally sat in their uh, seats and uh, I think experienced some of that firsthand. Yeah. And, and I thought uh, perhaps we would, we would kind of start out at an elementary level. I think, um, you know, most of our readers, I, I'd say probably, you know, two thirds of our readers absolutely understand what we're talking about when we're talking about programmatic ad buying. But there's a percentage out there that think, um, one, uh, programmatic, that's a complex term, it must be really tough. And then two, oh my gosh, enterprise, that, that just means <laughs> it's out of my price range. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, uh, of course, small businesses and everybody, they understand AdWords, right? They understand pay-per-click. Um, mm -hmm. But let's, let's talk about how big is the market for programmatic ad buying out, out there? Yeah, so uh, it's probably the, one of the fastest growing areas in advertising. And uh, I think you can understand why when you think about it, the root, what programmatic means to us is it's about uh, – data-driven buying, right? A lot of talk about data these days, but if you're any kind of enterprise, you have customers, you have people that you would like to be your customers, uh, the notion of being able to target or find those audiences or audience segments and being able to craft and go and have your advertising reach them in a very targeted manner, um, that, that seems like a pretty smart thing to do. So the way we look at programmatic media is just all of those different channels where you could be applying data, uh, keywords, targeting, uh, to get to the audience that you most desire at, at its very basic level. Yeah, and we see over and over again, obviously, within the advertising market, 
the the more relevant the target audience and the more relevant the ad is with the content that's being produced out there obviously the higher the engagement the higher the chance that someone is going to enter your conversion funnel so so programmatic really opens up you know this entire world of you know mobile and desktop and 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 other uh you know avenues into you know even small publications or publications that you know they're not they're not humongous and they're not monetizing through general means you know they're monetizing maybe through a a, a smaller ad network or or maybe it's a big ad network but it's really highly relevant to their industry right and it's a great uh, point you bring up that it's obviously you want to have that targeting and, and that better response. And one of the other benefits then is you're spending your advertising dollars much more efficiently because to your point, you're splattering it across really wide swaths of advertising to try to get to a few pinpoint people you hope were in that, uh, you know, that, that ad uh, that you, that you uh, placed. Uh, if you can be much more targeted, obviously that should bring your out of pocket down and be much more directed to just the people that you hope to uh, uh, attract. Yeah. Um, Industry-wide, obviously, with advertising, one of the problems that we continue to hear about over and over is is ad fraud. And uh, and I know that uh, you've been working as a leader. You're on the IAB board, uh, and you're uh, a huge, huge proponent of transparency with the within the industry. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that problem, and then what's happening even on the Visto side of the equation? You know, to to help you know, to help eliminate uh, ad fraud as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's a really important issue. And, uh, you know, the the unfortunate part of having a really lucrative business that's transacted online and uh, being able to transact these data-driven ads uh, out, out in, the, in the digital ecosystem does mean that it can be a target for those that don't have uh, sort of your, your best interests at heart who are trying to maybe game the system uh, at, appear to be fraudulent, you know, appear to be uh, legitimate sites, but they're actually fraudulent, appear to be a human, but they're really a, a robot uh, in, in trying to trick people into funneling their advertising dollars into places that aren't true, uh, the true humans that you want to reach. And so uh, this has been really important for us is to think about, well, there's that exposure potentially, uh, is how can we also use that technology to help identify when we see that's happening? Uh, when we see people clicking on an ad, <laughs> at a rate that no human could click that fast, right? Or, right. you know, there's no way you and I are clicking a thousand times on the same ad if we're interested in it. So doing things to be able to look for and, and ferret out when we think uh, these sort of fraudulent behaviors are happening. And there's a number of different firms who have, have laid down their camp in, in different algorithms to be able to, uh, to, to, to look for that and identify it. And what we've done in our system is we've just enabled uh, advertisers or our clients the ability to turn on those systems when they want to and basically have that layer of being able to look at and monitor their ads to see if there's anything that would be flagged as fraudulent activity. But yes, unfortunately, a, a huge bad business that we're trying to stomp out with uh, with using tech against tech. Yeah, and and it sounds um, you know artificial intelligence is obviously playing a role to to monitor behavior you know for consistency and and flag those um, fraudulent activities. That's right. Uh, th this is a great other uh, buzzword here besides uh, transparency, right? The whole <laughs> artificial intelligence or AI, it sounds very sexy. Uh, and, and I think uh, th there is a balance, though, in terms of probably, I think, where the, the industry truly is in terms of our evolution, uh, I think, is there, there certainly are things uh, that I think 
we can do in a much more sort of uh, programmed or technology driven or uh, mechanically driven way. We can use machines to look at a whole bunch of transactions very quickly, much faster than a human could do. Uh, we can write algorithms and rules and, you know, set sort of if-then statements to uh, help, help set some boundaries and recommendations about uh, the actions we want to take. So I, I do think there's a number of those things in place that will make the system smarter and uh, ease sort of the manual, I think, uh, load on someone who's trying to place a lot of advertising. Uh, but there will always be a human element, I think, in terms of interpreting and looking at some of those results that uh, will, will continue to be a balance of art and science. So good sure. news is we still need humans, Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well AI, AI can attack AI, right? Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so as much as we can utilize technology to, to identify these opportunities, you know, the bad guys could use AI to, to keep trying to hide it. So I That's think right. you're absolutely right. Um, and, and we, you know, I, I, I don't know whether it was a big bubble that has burst or not, but blockchain is that going to play a role i mean we heard we heard all about it when bitcoin <laughs> of course at the uh, skyrocketing um you know it, it looks like a promising technology to be able to you know really trace and track every transaction and activity that's happening do you think it's going to play a role uh in in advertising and ad fraud uh, fighting ad fraud I think there is a role for blockchain, uh, but you're right. I think maybe uh, uh, it's uh, benefited from from a, a big balloon of, of hype. You know, blockchain's going to come save the day. And I think part of the interest is because there's so many buzzwords around it that I think are appealing to people right now. The idea of transparency, uh, the idea of data being checked and QA'd and validated in a way that's uh, very open. So I do think it hits on some of the hot buttons that we're seeing around data and transparency. Uh, but there's also the speed at which that can happen. And we're talking about, especially in the programmatic digital space, right, bids on uh, advertising that could be happening in milliseconds. And I, I don't know that necessarily that's the place that uh, blockchain will, will have its biggest impact. But there's certainly, I think, an area for whether it's uh, creating a marketplace for being able to use coin for uh, transactions that have been enabled through a blockchain or using blockchain to validate uh, uh, you know, contracts between uh, two different, uh, a client and a vendor, and be able to, to validate when something has been served and completed per contractual obligation. I, I do think there's probably some interesting ways that, uh, again, uh, it could be used to, for good uh, to take out some of that manual process that I think happens in a lot of systems today. Nice. Uh, how, how, I mean, curious, and I know this was probably a serious, wild guess, <laughs> but, you know, what do you think the timeline is of, of that? Well, we're seeing already some uh, sort of nascent uh, um, companies sort of starting to bubble up and I, I think put offerings in the system. I think you'll see folks starting to dabble with this over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, but I think those will be the real bleeding edge folks in terms of having it integrated in their systems and starting to think about the pipes. And then as typically happens, I think once you get a, you know, one or two of those that are, I think, uh, legitimate, uh, then, then you'll see a lot more follow. I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's definitely, I think, got, got a place here. And, and again, I would say, I think, you know, contracts will be one of the first places I could see it being applied. Mm. 
And uh, I, moving on to the next topic, this is a, uh, this is a fun one. Uh, GDPR, the General Data <laughs> Protection Regulation, passed over in... Um, Just in rolls here. off the tongue, doesn't it? It, it really does. <laughs> I, I actually joked online that I wish that GDPR actually came with a clause that you could opt out of all GDPR emails. Um, <laughs> because I've gotten more emails since GDPR passed than, than anything else. And, and of course, this does impact, impact the United States because we are, uh, you know, digitally we are a universal, uh, you know, all the channels are universal, you know, from a worldly standpoint. And GDPR for people that, that are listening, you know, basically has guidance as far as maybe getting some user controls in place on how long your data is kept and how it's utilized and 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 again you know whether it can be released and and of course facebook was uh, was was probably a a big impetus on getting this passed um because they had the data um you know data abuse i would say uh but how, how do you think gdpr is going to play a role in the ad industry do you think it's going to be um great from a transparency standpoint or do you think this is really going to hinder maybe some of the rich data that we're able to accumulate on a target audience and and, and provide them with relevant advertising yeah it's been interesting to see what some of the reaction has been from uh, different corners of the market i think look in general i think obviously it's heightened uh, everyone's awareness around data data permissioning data privacy as a whole and i think for a lot of marketers who were depending on uh, services partners third parties uh, to handle or to uh, be able to execute or, or leverage a lot of their data i think a lot of them are probably taking a second look and you're seeing that shoring up happen i think already with a lot of marketers and taking more direct ownership of their data uh, whether that's bringing their own data warehouse and in, in-house or creating more sort of ownership legally of, of what they have and, and realizing that that's a potential achilles heel for them if they're not really uh, guarding that well um, and it doesn't help that, uh, you know, survey upon survey comes out saying that consumers distrust all of us in terms of managing their data, right? Two thirds thinking that, you know, ret retailers, emailers, uh, credit card folks, cell phone guys, they, they, they don't really trust in the system to handle it well. So I think we'll, it will be uh, incumbent on all of us to, to show that that trust is earned. And I think why we're, we're getting so many emails now saying, hey, we, we uh, protect your data and, and here's how we plan to do that. Uh, so I think one is just that, that general awareness. And I think then two things are gonna happen and it's going to work a little bit at cross purposes. So this will be interesting to see how it nets out because the marketer at the uh, end of the day and I know as you've talked about in, in a lot of your uh, discussions here is that that marketer wants to have their arms around their data so that they can communicate in a really effective way across their customer base and their prospect base. Right. And uh, of course, if I'm a marketer, I wanna be able to do that across as many channels as possible. I don't wanna be limited in that. I don't wanna only be able to do that on my own website or in my own email streams. I want to be able to go out and transact in a number of places, leveraging the data that I have. And I think working at cross purposes is some of the reaction we've seen from some of the uh, advertising outlets who are using or uh, reacting to GDPR as a means to potentially build up the walls uh, that they already have around their quote unquote walled gardens to keep their data only mm -hmm. within their walls. 
calls. Uh, and so as you look at some of the big folks like a Google, a Facebook, and some of these others that have a big data trove, they're thinking, gosh, I got to shore up the moat myself. Uh, but then that really hinders a marketer who would like to transact with their data across multiple partners when each one of them is sort of building an island for themselves and making it sort of tough for data, right, to be able to travel back and forth or to be able to be analyzed across uh, different channels. So I think we're going to see this come to a head as, as marketers uh, who hold the purse strings at the end of the day, I think will really push and challenge this is a, a way for the data to be able to talk across all of these partners who continue to build up walls around their, their data stores. Yeah, that, you put that so well, because I, I do feel like, uh, you know, I like the tug of war, obviously. I, I like being challenged about how I'm utilizing consumer data or business data, you know, to, to target and acquire customers. I think that, that makes me responsible. Um, but on the other side, I do worry about the general, you know, the, just the huge blowout of, oh my God, hide all of my data, which just gets us back to batch and blast, <laughs> you know? And if everybody's in their own island and you can't share any information, then I can't talk to you effectively and I can't provide value to our relationship. And that value, I think, is so important. And uh, I, I think cons consumers are smart. Uh, it's not like they are naive yeah. to right. the use of data and that they're being targeted or retargeted. I think they're, they're very aware of that. But that value is the most important part because I think uh, a, a large number of consumers we've seen are willing to give you that permission as long as they're receiving something of value in return. If you're giving me better targeted information or an offer that's really germane to me or helping me get to the answer more quickly because I provided you data about me that allows you to provide me with something more valuable, saves me time, brings me something invaluable, then, then they'll participate. And so I think losing the ability to uh, action on data that would allow us to bring those better offers. I think we'll work at cross purposes is why consumers would uh, allow that in the first place. So it's going to be a little bit of chicken and egg to find that right cycle. But I do think if consumers are educated that uh, they understand uh, allowing a certain amount of that information actually uh, inures to their benefit at the end of the day if, if the marketer uses it well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you, you said it perfect. Um, Okay, shift gears again. I am curious. Uh, I, I recently went to Dell Tech World, and I'll tell you, technology acceleration is quiet, but it is moving so rapidly, and, and my eyes were just open to all these opportunities that down, down the road are going to uh, be enabled with marketers as well. I'm curious, you know, uh, from your view of programmatic advertising and just advertising in general, you know, what, what do you see as the next frontier? What's the innovation that, that you're looking at that says that you're just, wow, this is going to really change our industry? Yeah, I think uh, the the road is vast ahead of us, and uh, it, it's very exciting for us. And if we go back to the uh, start of our, our talk here about the, that definition about programmatic or data-driven buying, I think for a lot of people, the first thing they think of is, oh, sure, ads on my desktop or on my phone, right, are things are that can be targeted to me using data. And I think what's interesting for us, especially in this space, is to, to see some of the different media channels 
that are becoming data enabled that weren't before. So mm -hmm. I would think about things like programmatic or addressable TV, using that data from those set top boxes or OTT, uh, digital out of home, digital audio. So we're starting to see the sophistication and breadth uh, that's starting to develop in terms of these new channels that will be data-driven. And I think that gets us to our uh, next buzzword, which would be more omni-channel buying. So it's not yeah. just about buying display ads, but if you can start linking together, and again, it comes back to being able to access and leverage that robust data you have at the foundation. But if I can now transact and use that across many, many more channels, this just becomes a, a lot of fun uh, to play with. I, I sometimes refer to it as the buffet, right? And uh, <laughs> I, I think it, it, it gets to be a lot of fun if you, if you can uh, really start to test and understand. And I think, again, for consumers, it, it gives you one more chance to customize the right message at the right time in the right location if you know a lot about uh, what they're doing, where they're doing it, and, uh, and can create the right message for the right time. Oh, yeah, I, I, uh, to add to that, you know, as a channel, IoT is one of those interesting ones for me. I, I just had, uh, unfortunately, I just had a new uh, air conditioning system put in my house. <laughs> a, a Are you controlling it from your wrist or your phone or something <laughs> like that? Well, you can, you can absolutely yeah. control it. But the interesting thing is that if anything goes wrong with it, I, there's a 10 year warranty on it. And it alerts the service people at the same time that it alerts me. Wow. And, and I, and I think that's such a fascinating step forward that, okay, I have a thermostat that is literally a marketing device, <laughs> right? Because and it's they making can, service calls for you. That's yeah, great. Yeah. That, that now the, the, the people that installed this now have a 10 year direct relationship with me from a communication standpoint. And, uh, and so when you think about channels exploding, you know, I, I can't help but wonder, you know, where everything in IoT is getting so affordable, you know, that, that everything kind of becomes a digital channel, you know, that can, that can be used for both communication and data gathering. So, yeah. Absolutely. And look at the value exchange. Yeah. If they said, hey, we'd just like to put this camera in so we can see what you're doing all the time, Douglas, inside our AC unit, you'd say no. Right. But if it says, hey, it saves you from having to sit on hold for a half an hour waiting to set up a service call when you get home and find out it's not working, well, that's, that's increased value right there. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Well, uh, that's 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 looking at innovation in the industry. Um, you're obviously just a successful leader and, and an inspiring. Uh, I hate saying female leader. You're just a talented leader. Um, but but we have to put diversity into the into the queue as well. Uh, before the before the call, I was actually talking to your to your PR person Sherry, and I was saying that I often look at my my podcast stream, and if it's guy, 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 I get really frustrated <laughs> because every day I'm working with these absolutely incredibly talented women in our industry. And I really feel like diversity is one of those things that's, that's key. You've spoken uh, about the activity that you're taking as a leader, you know, of Visto and with the IAB. What advice do you have? I, I, I'd like to hear advice to employers, um, you know, to, to really, um, why diversity is so critical to our to our industry, and then I I, I think I shared with you before that I have a uh, you know a daughter that's uh, new just 
got her first full-time job at a PR agency, uh, graduated, you know, last year. Um, what advice do you have for her as a, as a woman um, that's in a, in maybe a, uh, I don't know what the right word is, in an industry that looks like it's male controlled? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how's that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really delicate balance because I think the, the hope is that uh, we, we don't have to talk about it if it were such the norm that right. everyone was treated uh, completely equally, fairly. And I, I've certainly benefited from just terrific coaches, mentors, supporters uh, along my career path. And so I think a lot of my personal approach stems from that, which is uh, sort of uh, diversity blind, but I think really looking for talent in a broad way and thinking about how do you cultivate that within your organization. And I think uh, having that both ways for, uh, you know, a woman or anyone starting out in the business, uh, we both know how important your network is and uh, often don't understand that, I think, until the, the latter part of your career. And uh, I've seen some really sharp folks that sort of start that early on and, and are reaching out to make connections. And um, I, I would challenge anyone within their organization or uh, across the industry industry uh, that I think uh, folks are always willing to, to sit informationally and help the next generation of folks come up and, uh, and, and share, share that knowledge. So I'd say, uh, you know, especially if they're interviewing or I don't have that job yet, I wouldn't put so much pressure on it that I'm reaching out to someone to look for a job or look for something in general. But I think there's a lot of folks that would say, hey, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to sit aside 30 minutes for a coffee chat to help someone that truly has a passion and interest in our industry and, and just wants to learn more. And I think there's a, there's a whole host of people that would be willing to do that. And I think in return is, as you become a manager or leader within your organization, how can you foster that within your own teams, right? Identify folks, whether that's through recruiting, internship opportunities uh, within your own teams is to make sure that you're, you're making those paths known and visible. And then a lot of it is just uh, walk in the walk uh, you know, or walk in the talk, which is, uh, it, it's one thing to uh, talk about diversity and, and have initiatives. I think when people see that reflected in your actual management ranks and, and yes. as you're talking about just that visibility, uh, that, that speaks volumes, right, without having to, to have it as a, as a written statement. But I think if you show in how you act and, and how your uh, company interacts with, with, with candidates and you look around the room and what it looks like, uh, th that says a lot. And yeah. uh, it, it starts to set the tone for expectation and hopefully does get us to the point where it's just expected in the norm versus something that uh, you, you really have to focus on because it's a, a, def, a glaring deficit in, in your organization. I love that. And, and once you see the results and once you see the benefit of, you know, that the, the fact that a diverse workforce is necessary to, you know, really have a, have a product or service that has a diverse audience. Yes. <laughs> you know, once That's you see right. those, once you see those benefits, you never look back. You, you totally understand that, you know, group think and, and getting people that come from different backgrounds or, or the same background, you know, or the same gender or the same belief systems or anything is really just a, a a tough sell, you know, that's where the ship starts to sink and everybody's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> sure, and and I would add to that, that we're becoming, uh, or are, such a global industry that yeah. it, right, it's not even just, you know, kind of gender ethnicity uh, across the U.S., but dealing with other countries and, and cultural norms and language, and so you, you certainly see it there, and, and I had someone else ask me recently from a generational standpoint, uh, 
having millennials in your organization and how that is, you know, having those voices at the table versus others that might be coming from a, a, a later sort of generation and, and how do you mix those expectations in terms of how you talk to customers or you have customers that are cross-generational as well as inside your walls. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I take a very broad view on diversity and I agree with you. I think just the different points of view uh, challenge you in a good way uh, to make sure that you're thinking of it from a, a real, real well-rounded perspective. Absolutely. Well, um, the last thing that we love to do with all of our guests is have them take the floor as far as, you know, your product. And so, you know, Visto is obviously, uh, you know, it's an enterprise programmatic ad buying platform that has incredible visibility into the channels and, and how you're, um, you know, how omnichannel and how you're performing. Can you give us the, I, I don't like the pitch. Um, <laughs> uh, everybody, can, everybody can go to your homepage and see the sure. pitch. But, but tell us what's happening on the Visto front that really is um, putting you just in a different universe than, than all than the other uh, products out on the market? Yeah, I think uh, the best place to start is with the customer, right? Which is a good place for any marketer to start. And I think looking at what our customer is thinking about, concerned with uh, right now, we really built Vista to answer those core questions. And one certainly we've talked about today is around uh, being able to manage their data and execute it across a number of different platforms is one core need. Uh, the other one was uh, we also talked about is all of these different channels that may or may not be walled off from each other. So as an, a marketer, an advertiser, I might want to place, as you said, my AdWords campaign. I might have something in Facebook. I might be using uh, different ad networks or DSPs or exchanges to place advertising across a number of different formats. And then who knows that whole host of new things we just thought up around programmatic TV and other channels will be available. So I have all of these channels I need to manage and typically uh, what my team or agency would have to do is log into multiple different systems to manage that. So that's just really cumbersome. So I want to use my data and I want to use all these channels, uh, but I've, I've now had to create a, a fleet of people to do this, that, and that seems very daunting. Uh, and then the last piece is uh, that I really would like to have a lot more transparency in terms of what is happening, whether it's about fraud and viewability, uh, about the rates I'm paying, the effectiveness of it, just to have a really good view in terms of the analytics and how I'm best performing. So if we think of those as the th three pillars or the three, uh, three legs of the stool that we really thought about is how do we create uh, something that will really help a marketer solve for this, uh, that, that's really where the idea of Vista was born, which was how do we create a software platform that would allow uh, a client to be able to leverage their data, to be able to transact and place ads across multiple systems from one place. Think of it as your command center. You're like Captain Kirk. You got all the control and you get to sit there and, and manage it and see it across uh, multiple platforms. And so it's huge time savings and operational efficiency to do that. And even if you have a very small team, uh, you can actually manage it now because you can go into one of these platforms to manage many instead of having to go into dozens. And then the reporting that comes back gives you just great insights in terms of what's happening with your spend and how effective your advertising is, which is uh, what, what you really want to know at the end of the day. Yeah. So this is really the, you know, I, I mean, those, those things that you talked about are all the strengths of uh, making the right investment in a MarTech tool, you know, that your MarTech platform should make life easier for you, you know, take those, 
manual tasks and, and help to automate them. Um, you know, I think marketers most of their time is spent moving data back and forth instead of actually executing campaigns. And so Visto can really help them, you know, see the picture, um, execute the campaigns, you know, and then adjust accordingly. Uh, anybody uh, listening, uh, we will have the, the link, vistohub.com, V-I-S-T-O-H-U-B.com. Uh, we will put that on the show notes as well. Uh, but please go out to their site. There's a, a fantastic explainer video right on the homepage, a, you know, that kind of walks through, you know, the challenges and, and what the product does for people. And then, of course, uh, you can join the Visto newsletter there and schedule a demo. So we would encourage you to do that. Um, Carrie, thank you so much for spending the time today. Really appreciate this. This was a fascinating conversation and, uh, and hope we can do it again soon. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Douglas. The MarTech Interviews podcast is recorded at DK New Media's state-of-the-art podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. Subscribe at martech.zone. Sponsorships and marketing services are available through dknewmedia.com.